I'm Austin. I'm Bridget. And I'm Lauren. And this is Tipsy Ghouls, a podcast that searches your neck of the woods for the stories that keep you up at night about true crime, conspiracies, and you guessed it, ghosts. So without further ado, let's get started. All right. <laughs> What's up, you spooky, cute guys? Aww, <laughs> spooky cuties. <laughs> What's up, spooky cuties? Wait, no lie. The other day at work, I saw a girl that had um, a kitty cat bat tattoo, and it was like a little kitten with bat wings and fangs, and I was like, that's the cutest fucking Aww. tattoo I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> so cute. That's cute. That's us. Yes, that's us. We're the spooky cuties. (laughs) And I'm Lauren. Oh, yes, 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 yes. I'm Austin. And And I'm... And I... (laughs) And I'm Bridget. (laughs) We need to work work on an intro. Yeah, we do. Yeah. I feel like I I like the casual ones, though. They're more fun. Yeah. We need something saucy. Yeah. Hmm. Something saucy and spooky at the same time. Saucy like a little Caesar's pizza boy. <laughs> Ew. We'll think of something as we keep going. Yeah. I had you guys turned up so high in my head like you could hear it. <laughs> got it, got it. <laughs> it wasn't got it, got even got that it. high though. You're dead. Got it. <laughs> it wasn't that much. Oh, Austin's okay. just loud. <laughs> Can you hear it now? No, I can't hear it now. No, we're good. Are you sure? Yeah. yeah. All right. That's so weird. Yeah. Fuck it up with old age. Okay. (laughs) I guess I'm up. (laughs) Falling asleep in headphones. (laughs) Yeah. I don't do that anymore. And when I did, it was on the first level. It was just because I didn't want to hear the spooky sounds in my room. (laughs) What did you say? You were like, whatever happens in my bedroom after I'm asleep is none of my business. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) I don't want to know what the fuck is happening in there. It's not my room anymore. (laughs) I I turn on my rain noises and I'm out. It doesn't matter. You could could be over me with a gun and I would not care. Because those rain noises take me to sleep land. Yeah, I needed just like something to distract me from the weird creaking sounds of my childhood home. Yeah. <laughs> I'm fine here though. It was just that place. Well, that's good. I'm happy for you. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> well, except for the one night that my shampoo fell in the middle of the night. <laughs> off the ledge and onto the shower floor and woke me up in the middle of the night like what the fuck is that the only weird things that have happened have been in the bathroom i can just picture you (laughs) (laughs) this was was me this is a real life i'm laying there this is real life i'm sleeping i hear it and i go <laughs> I shoot open and I'm like, <laughs> it was scary. I'm <laughs> That also happened at. <laughs> also happened after your birthday party. I was asleep in your parents' living room. Yeah, yes. we were we were asleep in the living room, and like Brian came down or something and started doing something, and I heard like the door open, and I, <laughs> for a second, like 
while being woken up, forgot I was there. So I thought I was at home when the door was oh, open. Shit. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> just like <laughs> I'm sure your dad was like, what the fuck? Meanwhile, Lisa literally tucked me in and I didn't even yeah. flinch. <laughs> I like woke me up and, and I had like a new blanket and a pillow on me and I was like, hello? Yeah, hello. Hello. Me and Lisa stood in the living room while you were asleep, just watching the room, but trying to finish cleaning. Like, it was, like, stuck behind the couch where you were sleeping on, and it was, like, and you were just fully asleep. And I was, like, (laughs) dead to the world. I think we said something to you, and you were, like, "Um." like, you knew we were there, but you didn't give a shit. Classic. I, I literally got to a point that night where I was like, I don't give a fuck what you want me to do. I'm going to bed. I remember that. It's not as bad as um on New Year's Eve when we were there. That party I was, was like, a shit show. Oh my God, I was so drunk. I have a vivid memory. Well, it's not vivid because I was like browning out of like, I went to the bathroom and I just like needed a second. And I think I like fell asleep on the toilet for a little bit. <laughs> Like ah! briefly, because I like was sitting there with my hands, my head in my hands. Oh my god! And I came back there. down, and you, I came back down, and you were like, "Oh, I thought it got lost or something." I was like, "How long was <laughs> I up there?" Like I didn't even realize I did that. And you had that texted me, like, "Did you been die?" Closed for forty years. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's so funny. Uh, it's bad. Oh, I'm crying. That's what? fucking hilarious. <laughs> Many times have happened at your parents' house. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's like a fucking portal. It is. I love, like, I love that home. If you ever move, if your family ever moves from there, I think I want to buy it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I, I don't even want to live in Ohio. I just want that home for the men's. Just move the home to Florida. Yeah. Your vacation home. Ah mm-hmm. oh, yes. It's <laughs> funny. So I had dinner with my friend Serena today and I was telling her about what we're doing and she was like, you should get a beer from each state when you're recording and like all drink like an Arkansas beer or something. And it's like, that's such a good idea, but we record in 45 minutes. So next (laughs) time. (laughs) So probably not. (laughs) Yeah. And she was like, I wonder if anything has been invented in Arkansas. And I was like, I guess that we could probably give some positive facts about the state since we're going to be showing all of the fucked up things that have happened there (laughs) so some positives about arkansas yeah we read that i don't know where my phone is i have i have have mine in front of me if you want me to just say them (laughs) um so apparently fried pickles were invented in arkansas oh hell yeah arkansas yeah and it is the spinach capital of the world (laughs) oh that's awesome. Yeah. <clears throat> and fun fact for our listeners, we realized about 30 minutes also before we started recording that we tried to go in alphabetical order, but really Arizona was next <laughs> and not so. Arkansas. So we're just going to use the uh, the alphabetical list as kind of a, a suggestion, a guide, if you will. <laughs> yes. <laughs> if you will. Rules were Johnny Cash was born in yes. uh, Arkansas. Oh, that's cool. cool. I didn't know that. That's a, that's a fun fact. That is a fun fact. All Those were great facts, facts guys. Yeah. yeah. And one of my favorite memories about Arkansas is the vine of the girl going, why is this Kansas? And this is not Arkansas. I am confusion. Every <laughs> so time I read Arkansas now, I think Arkansas in my head. <laughs> I 
and confusion. <laughs> All right, and one. I am drinking a A to Z. <laughs> Moving along. <laughs> Sorry, what? <laughs> I am drinking <laughs> an A to Z wine works bubbles, Oregon sparkling wine. It's just like a sparkling rosé. And it's really Ooh. good. It's kind of buttery, actually. So mm, that sounds good. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's good. I love the fizziness, and it's pink. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> um, I am drinking Charles Shaw Two Buck Chuck Shiraz. Shiraz. That's Shiraz. It's More good like wine. Five Buck Chuck. Yeah. Wait, like no one heard my joke. What? Wait, what did you say? Sorry. I said, bet your ass it's a good wine. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh bet my your God. ass. <laughs> we um, need to do a conspiracy episode about how Two Buck Chuck is just Franzia in a bottle. Yes. Done. Done. So whatever Done. state that's from, that's going to be mine. <laughs> probably California. Yeah, probably. I'm, I'm oh. drinking good old-fashioned water tonight, folks. Hell yeah, brother. Stay hydrated. Yeah, hydrate, Austin don't said. hydrate. Austin has the corona. <laughs> I don't have... Stop telling people I have coronavirus! Literally at work, every time I sneeze... Every time I sneeze, people are like, oh, don't come near me. Don't come near me. I'm like, I hate you all. I know. I'm what a man gotta do. I'm that I'm feeling sick, because they're gonna yeah. think that I have coronavirus. Mm-hmm. But it's just allergies, too. I know. I'm afraid. Like every time I sneeze in public or cough in public, I like look around and people are like, "Oh my god!" I know. Yeah. Like, bitch, I, know. I don't have the corona. And the per- you know, did you see that there was a possible case in Montgomery County? Oh, great! He That's tested. Awesome. They tested negative, though. So oh, we're good god. for now. <sighs> yeah, I'm trying for to decide now. if I should still, or we should still go celebrate St. Patrick's Day in public. I'd say yes. Oh, we're fine. Just bring some Clorox <laughs> yeah. wipes. Yeah. Yeah, why not? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And wash our hands. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, we'll be fine. Alcohol yeah. kills it in your stomach, right? If you breathe it in, sure. that's where it goes, and then alcohol just, just falls and just, yeah. Sure. Get some vodka sure. sodas. You'll be fine. Yeah. Take some shots We'll just of chug we'll some fucking Everclear, and we yeah. will. That'll we'll clear you right out. All the germs yeah. in your body will be dead. Yep. You will be sterile. You yes. will die. <laughs> Don't touch Along me. I'm sterile. <laughs> <laughs> I did that at the restaurant today. Wash my hands. Like, don't touch me. I'm sterile. <laughs> oh, I've washed my hands at least 25 times today. And my hands are dry as fuck. But you know oh, what? Oh, yeah. Me too. Yeah. I've been washing mine here with dish soap because that's all I have. Ah, uh, because, yeah, the stores don't have soap anymore, right? <laughs> I think the one I have in my bathroom is not actually antibacterial. It's just like a regular hand soap. Uh, so just to be safe, I'm using dish soap. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. My roommate actually... That- went and bought like an antibacterial soap like before all this started so i was Mm. like wow thank you so much for being on top of this for our health and safety yeah that's nice that's very nice wow that is so nice of your roommate to do that for you yeah i know right all right who wants to go first um i'll go first this time yeah i'll go first this week because i think both of you have gone first now and i haven't okay all right so this week on episode three, Arkansas, uh, <laughs> I am doing the Mount Holly Cemetery in Little Rock. Ooh. 
Yeah, I. It sounds like it was going to be so exciting, and I hope that we we can we enjoy this together. Uh, my yeah. sources are MountHollyCemetery.org and HauntedHouses.com because that is reliable. <laughs> oh, it is <laughs> the most reliable yeah. source, right. honestly. Very Hell yeah. All right, so on February 23rd, 1843, prominent Little Rock businessman Roswell, I don't know if you say his name, Beeb or Bebe, it's B-E-E-B-E, Bebe, Roswell Bebe, and Chester Ashley (laughs) deeded four blocks um, to the young city of Little Rock for use of a cemetery. Before this, the dead were buried in private family cemeteries or in small, um, the small cemetery that was located where the federal building now stands on Capitol Avenue and Gain Street. Uh, Mount Holly is filled with uh, a lot of notable people, a lot of people that, like, I mean, they're, they're famous in their own right, but they're not, like, like celebrities or whatever. Um, one of the most notable ones is, uh, her name is Kwati or Elizabeth Ross, the wife of the Cherokee chief, John Ross. Um, she died en route to the Indian Territory in 1839 as she was traveling, uh, the water route of the Trail of Tears, and she was buried at the Capitol Avenue Cemetery where her remains along with those of the number of others, were reinterred at Mount Holly. So, Trail of Tears, really sad. If you did history stuff, you mm-hmm. will know how shitty that situation is. I know, um, that, was, that was like the worst thing ever. Yeah. Yeah. So, other notable people are Samuel Adams. I don't know if it is the Samuel Adams, but Samuel Adams, I put it in there because I'm low-key hoping it's the Samuel Adams, uh, Chester Ashley, and Pulitzer Prize winner John Gould Ashley. Um, so, obviously with it being a cemetery, uh, Mount Holly was pretty much doomed to be haunted from the start. Um, like I said, families moved their dead, dead loved ones from their personal um, plots that they had to the uh, as I wrote in here for whatever reason, the new dead person real estate down the road. <laughs> Moving up in the world. Yikes. New development. Only for the dead. Only yeah. the finest. Uh, so, I mean, obviously knowing what we know about the dead and spirits and everything, you really shouldn't touch them once you've buried them because then it really stirs them up and it fucks up your life. Uh, So basically, right off the bat, once they moved people in, there was hauntings all over the place. Um, Some of the most notable ones and the spookiest things I could find were, and this is going to mess you up when you think about it. Uh Okay, get ready for this. Statues are reported to move, which, you know, like, Maybe That's like creepy. moving arm. Ooh. Yeah, 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 yeah. But get this, get this. Not just like move like their physical bodies or the like the stone moves itself. The actual statues have been found in different locations. Ew. Ew that's so creepy. They, they've been found oh. in 
<laughs> in neighboring houses, like on in Ew. the yards. Yeah. So these stat the statues are I I again it's from hauntedhouses.com, but that's disgusting. What the fuck? <laughs> like, oh my god. If me. I woke up and a statue was in my front yard, <laughs> I'd be like literally cry. Pack your bags, we're moving tomorrow. Um, yeah, goodbye. I'm terrifying. done. Like this house I'm, is already <laughs> occupied. We need to leave. <laughs> we're we're good. Um, it's also known to have phantom flute music that can be heard at different times throughout the day, and I think this can be attributed to um, um, dead soldiers and people from the different times in war history because this cemetery was a, around for um, or like after the American Revolution and onto the Gulf War. So there's a lot of people buried from American Revolution on in the cemetery. So flutists and like the drum corps and everything for um, back in those times, common, you know? And then, um, of course, apparitions of people um, in 19th century clothing can be seen in pictures. And they can be seen roaming the cemetery at night. Um, so it's, it's yeah, super creepy. Um, if you're interested in visiting Mount Holly Cemetery in Little Rock, Kansas, you can book tours. You can book tours to visit the cemetery itself. You can book it as part of ghost tours. Uh, but the most interesting thing i found when i was doing my research on mount holly cemetery is that every year they do uh an event called tales of the crypt which sounds like it's going to be like a haunted house type of thing but it's so interesting i'm so excited like i would actually fly over to go see it because they do this thing yeah so what they do is they a bunch of theater students from the area will choose um notable people buried in the cemetery and they'll study them and then they'll go out in october every year and they'll reenact those people's lives at their gravesite. oh that's oh, cool isn't that so time, cool if there's a time that's gonna summon a spirit it's that <laughs> Isn't that so cool? Like a that bunch of people so cool. walking around in period clothing while they're talking about the dead person that they're literally standing right next to. Yeah, That'd be that's very crazy. cool. I I just like that got me. So like I said, there's I couldn't find a ton on it. That's really all I have about Mount Holly Cemetery. But that is the short and kind of spooky. I I mean I got goosebumps when I was researching it a little yeah. bit, and I got it when I was telling this. But that's the short story of Mount Holly Cemetery. That was a good one. That was a yeah, it's so that short, but really it was so cool good. Yeah, I like. I would totally be into checking it out and going and visiting just to see Tales of the Crypt. I tried to look up when it when it is, but I couldn't find the date. Hopefully, when we're dead someday, some people will try to reenact our lives on top of our gravesite, oh, and no. it'll just be us being drunk <laughs> and also podcasting while holding microphones and replaying Vine compilations. <laughs> just listening to mgk just like perfect. on repeat perfect oh my god that's what i want to be remembered for yep <laughs> no that was a really good one yeah that was yeah so okay okay if you guys are listening if you're here for episode number three we're already having ghost things happening to us <laughs> i, I legitimately remotely so the ghosts are with you 
Yeah, I legitimately was checking the audio just now, and when I went to go back to the um, uh, Google Hangout that we're on slash uh, pull everything else back up, it like mysteriously went away. So spooky, haunted. (laughs) So what's up, ghosts? It's me. Yeah, it's it's your boy. (laughs) Yeah, it's your boy. Spooky boys. Did you just pull out a crystal? <laughs> I, I can. They're right here. I have sage and crystals. I have oh my gosh. like five different sage bundles in front of me. So I don't have any sage at all. I need to, I need to do that, I guess. Mm-hmm. When in doubt, sage it out. <laughs> all right. So who wants to go next? Um, I can go next if you guys want. <clears throat> all right. Here we go. Okay. So for the conspiracy theory story for Arkansas. I had trouble finding something um, that had a lot of information, so which led me to feel like Arkansas is definitely hiding something. <laughs> dun, dun, Just dun. like how Austin couldn't find anything. <laughs> the whole um, state is a conspiracy now. Yes. <laughs> um, so I ended up finding this story that's kind of a mixture of true crime and conspiracy, um, but the, the ending of it is conspiracy, so um, I checked. We I'm not overlapping with Lauren, so um, yes, we double checked. Yes. <laughs> so this story is about um, the boys on the tracks is what it's called. So basically there's a lot of information. I'm just going to read through what I wrote. Um, and then if I remember any details I forgot, I'll add it in. So there were two boys in 1987 in Arkansas, 16-year-old Don Henry and 17-year-old Kevin Ives. And um, they were found... Uh, well, not found, but they had been tied to a train track, wrapped in tarps, um, with a rifle next to their heads, and a train and ended up running over them. So Ew. that is the beginning of the story. Oh, <laughs> yeah, great. So, <laughs> yep. Yeah. So that's a great start. <laughs> yes. So at the time, um, this man who was the conductor just going down the train tracks um, in the middle of the night and noticed something dark on the tracks. So he tried to stop in time, um, and as they got closer, realized that it was people. Um, couldn't tell if they yes. were alive or not, which they ended up not being alive at this time, or at least we think. Um, and the train Hopefully was a mile not. long. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, the train was a mile long, so it couldn't stop in time. It ended up running them over. So oh. that is the event that started everything. And so... This train conductor, you know, called the police, told them what happened, and um, basically immediately some weird things started happening. So the police almost immediately ruled it as an accident, like before they even investigated the scene. And they basically just like told the train to just keep going, like just keep going, it's fine. And officers from that time reported that they told them to just treat it like a traffic accident. (laughs) And like That's they didn't suspicious even tape it when off. the police do that. You know something. Yeah. yeah. Yes. So they didn't even tape off the scene or anything. So that was the beginning of everything. What year was this? 1987. Hmm. So a little bit ago. Interesting. Um, yes. And so it was later seen that that night, uh, well, we later found out that, that night these two boys that were best friends um, decided to go hunting at night, spotlighting, which is inherently illegal, but... Um, they it's basically a hunting strategy where you shine spotlights on 
deer and kind of distract them in order to shoot them. So they had told their parents that night that they were going out spotlighting and they were going to the same area that they always hunt, which is around these train tracks. And the boy, one of the boys, I think Don, took his rifle with them. And then they never came home in the morning. So they found out the next day, actually um, the weekend before, the boys had also kind of gone missing in the middle of the night, but just realized they were at their friend's house. So their parents this time kind of thought it was the same thing um, until they got a tip from the neighbor that their boys had been run over with a train and they kind of thought it was like someone acting crazy like why do you know this it wasn't even public knowledge yet but a couple hours later the police called them and confirmed the neighbor's story that they had been found asleep on the train tracks is what it ended up what they said yeah that's suspicious yes so um Obviously, the investigation, the initial investigation went strangely, part of the course for the original reactions to it, to treat it like a traffic accident. So the police started denying things that eyewitnesses had claimed seeing, like the tarps. They said, well, there weren't any tarps. There wasn't a gun. They were just laying on the tracks instead of being tied to the tracks and just started discounting all this information that multiple people saw with their own eyes. And... Um, basically they had sent their bodies to the coroner or the, the person that does the autopsy and this guy's name is Dr. Malik. So Dr. Malik ruled it as an accident and said that they were under the influence of marijuana and that they had smoked 20 joints, which what? you can't tell that. Yeah. <laughs> they had 20 all, joints in their system. What? Yeah, you can't tell that. Like, you can't do that. You Two people can't be smoking 20 joints. Exactly. You would literally not be able to move your body. Yeah. And yeah. what a waste. <laughs> you, don't need to, you don't need to smoke 20 <laughs> joints at once. But he said that they were so um, kind of in a daze over this amount of marijuana that they smoked and then this hallucinogenic drug that they had fallen asleep on the tracks and didn't hear the train coming. So that was the official story. That was told in court. The devil's lettuce. Yes. And so even though there was some weird suspicion, the family weren't, wasn't happy with how the autopsy came out. And just from then on, the families were always wanting more information. So about a week or so after it had happened, um, the parents and some other people went and investigated this place for themselves. So this is around the time of the trial. It hadn't been deemed an accident yet. Their parents found a piece of cardboard in the woods. It was big enough to drag two bodies through the woods. And it had a big stain on it, like a blood stain. And so they thought that if they brought this to the city police, that they would kind of discount it. So they're like, we'll take it to the state police. And then they brought it to the state police and never heard anything about it again. Never talked about. And they even found, like, people would go investigate on their own just, like, for fun. Gawkers would find, like, severed feet and, like... Yeah, just, like, pieces of the body they didn't even bother cleaning up. Oh, my God. And, like, pieces of a rifle that they the trained people couldn't, like, claim seeing, but the police denied ever happened. Oh, and another interesting piece of the story was that there wasn't a lot of blood um, in the what? scene. And that the, the body parts almost look like mannequin body parts. Like, that's how Ooh. they described it in this podcast. Yeah. What? 
And so, um, it's just some suspicious things that a normal police department would look into. They were just like, no, it's an accident. So the parents, after they, um, submitted the piece of cardboard and never heard back, they decided to hire a private investigator and also a second examiner, examiner to examine their bodies. And so the second examiner almost immediately, without even having the full information that he would need to do an autopsy, gave the same result as the first one and said, well, yeah, it was just uh, an overdose on marijuana or they overdose fell asleep. On marijuana. Yeah. <laughs> like they were so high that they couldn't, they didn't hear the train coming. Yeah, and the, so the family sad. questioned them, like, why are you, you don't even have all the information. How could you possibly give us this result? He said, well, I work for the same kind of lab as the first guy. And so we probably have a very similar result. That was his answer. And so the family obviously wasn't <laughs> happy about that. Yeah. And I'm, I never really got to what the private investigator found, but um, I'm sure a lot of this came out from him doing some digging. So, um, let's see. So five months later, the parents were frustrated that the case had been closed and they held a press conference um, to try to pressure the police into reopening the case and it worked. So by this time, a new prosecutor had been appointed to the city I'm not sure if it was the city or the state police, but his name was Richard Garrett. And he didn't really know anything about this case. So I think that um, that definitely played um, well on the family side because he reopened the case and had the boys' bodies sent for another autopsy with Dr. Burton from Atlanta. So this guy had no ties to the Arkansas police. And he found a whole slew of interesting things. Um, but definitely discounted this first doctor's autopsy and a lot of the police reports. So um, the first thing that this guy found was there was a shirt found near the scene with a cut on the back that resembled almost exactly the cut that was on one of the boys' backs. Even after the train ran over them, this cut was still visible. So he did some testing and found out that this cut had been done by a blade and that this shirt had to be on his body when it happened. And then there were some other things on them um, that led to them probably being dead before they were tied to the tracks. Like there was a cut on the other boy's face where like looks like the back of a gun hit him oh. in the face and their lungs had fluid in them, which leads to them have already been dead. And the fact that there wasn't a lot of blood, they bled out before this happened, and that their limbs didn't have blood in them either, apparently. Interesting. Um, Yes, so this definitely fueled the investigation again. And this also, um, the person I was listening to gave a lot of background on this. The first doctor that did the autopsy, he basically has a whole history of autopsies that he deemed as accident or suicide or something that obviously were not. So there was one in Arkansas also that this guy was found dead in his apartment without his head attached. And his conclusion... The, the autopsy conclusion by this guy, Malik, who did the first one, was that he died and his dog ripped his head off. What? <laughs> like, that you know, sounds and fake. They, yeah, they later found fake the head news. that it was like a perfect cut. Like, obviously, that was not no an accidental death, but that was deemed accidental. And there was another one where a guy was shot three times and one of them in the face. 
and it was deemed a suicide. Like, okay, that's what? how that works. So this kind of all leads um, into what we'll talk about at the end. So keep that in mind. Um, so there's a big, there's a lot of details that I can even go further in on the death um, and why there's other weird things around it. And a lot of people came forward with stories, but there's a couple that will tie it up nicely. Um, so I'm probably leaving out a lot of information, but this is the most interesting part. A couple years after it had happened, <laughs> um, one of their friends came forward and said that he was actually with those two boys the night that they died. And he had been afraid to come forward um, before this. So he was actually with the boys that night and they had been smoking weed on a back road when an unmarked police car pulled up and two cops got out and this boy that had come forward he got scared and ran off but the other two boys did not and so he always thought you know the last people that saw these two boys were police officers and later there's another witness from that night that apparently was driving drunk or under the influence saw this cop or saw the cops on the side of the road and got scared that they would pull them over. So he pulled Did over. Did he smoke 20 joints of marijuana too? <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> Everyone there was smoking 20 joints of marijuana. <laughs> so this guy pulled over and just turned his car off trying to like hide from the cops. But he accidentally watched everything happen. So they watched these cops bust these kids with drugs and then start beating them. <gasps> like incessantly beating them. And like had this one guy... One of the kids, like, pushed up against a telephone or, like, a bus stop and was beating him. And so he saw them. He saw the cops put the boys in their cop car and then drive down a road that was a dead end. And then 15 minutes later, (laughs) drove back out. But he didn't notice if the boys were with them or not. So around the same time, there was a lot of talk that was coming out um, that right before the boys died, there was some rumor swirling that they were involved in selling slash stealing cocaine um it sounded like they he they probably stole it from a drug dealer and thought they could sell it it's the kind of what i got like there were a lot of different witnesses that gave different perspectives like a guy was like i tried to buy cocaine from them and this other guy was like i tried to or i sold it to them or uh, something like that so you can basically put together that these guys got mixed up in some drug dealer's business that they shouldn't have gotten mixed up in. And there were some other witnesses coming out too, like, oh, I I used to work in the drug trafficking business and I um, was called in as muscle to try to, you know, off these boys for stealing cocaine and all this stuff. And um, basically, oh, there's another witness that said they saw three men at the train tracks that night and one of them they recognized as the prosecutor of the case like the the original prosecutor was actually at the train tracks with the cops that beat them that night so if you put like all these different witness stories together basically what the conspiracy theory is is that these cops were actually working for or with this major drug dealer in the area and the drug dealer reported to the cops that these boys stole cocaine from them so the cops actually performed like 
not even perform the hit, maybe they did, but got them, brought them to the train tracks where they got killed for stealing this cocaine, and then they helped them wrap, like, cover it all up by putting them on the train tracks, making it kind of look like that, like they someone tried to kill them on the tracks or something, and then covered it all up by not giving it the media coverage it deserved or the investigation. The prosecutor was in on it. The coroner that the one guy that had been covering up all these deaths were probably in on it. And it has never been like solved. All this evidence is here pointing that the cops, the state cops of Arkansas were working with these like major drug traffickers and covering up all the crimes. Honestly, that doesn't surprise me, though, because I feel like that happens way more than we would like to think. Yeah. Oh, and my God, that's insane. Yeah. Like, if they're getting paid by these... That is so these, sad. Yeah. That makes me nervous. That yeah. made my stomach hurt when you were saying that. Yeah. And the last witness to come out, the guy that said he was hired as muscle, he was actually a um, WWE wrestler back in the day. Oh. And he actually, like, came to the family out of guilt and told them, like, I was there when your boys died oh. and <gasps> and all this stuff. And um, he, that was in 2018. So Oh, my God. And this, the case time. was still, yeah, the case was, like, still not looked into at all. That's insane. Like, it's just covered up. Yeah. And this girl that I was watching this video from, um, she was saying how she couldn't find, like, any information about it. She had to listen to um, the True Crime Garage, another podcast who covered this. Um, and they're the best. They you should go listen to them. <laughs> yeah, I should. Um, but they had to search around for little pieces of information. Like there's all these different witness counts that had never been gathered all together. Like it's just it. No one talks about it. That's it's crazy. Not covered in the media or anything. Yeah. Damn. That's really good. Oh, well, not yeah. not, not that, cow. but well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. your story was really good. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, it had a lot of information. I skipped like a big chunk. I can't even remember now what what it was that I skipped, but it was a 30-minute video, basically, that I Holy crap. on. Oh, my um, God. So let me try to find the source. Um, it was a girl that does like, kind of crime video. So her name is Brooke McKenna. She has a YouTube um, channel where I assume she talks about other true crime. But it's called The Boys on the Tracks Case, New Witness 2018, cover-up. <laughs> So um, it was a really good video if you want more information, or I'm sure you could also listen to True Crime Garage. So yeah. Yes. Interesting. Dang, I don't and know how I'm going to follow that up. Yeah, <laughs> that was a good <laughs> okay. Mine was kind of true crime, too, so like it just counts for both of us. Perfect. It leads okay, into, so it so leads we're into done here? <laughs> yeah. No, I want to hear your story. Just kidding. <sighs> oh. Okay, so... I'm trying out like a new way of storytelling. So I have this intro that I think is going to be really cool, but just let me know if it's cool or not. And then I can just tell a different way. I'm ready. No words can express just how sorry I am for taking the lives of my babies. No way can I make up for or take away the pain I have caused everyone who knew and loved them. And on May 2nd, 2000, by lethal injection, Christina Riggs said her last words, I love you, my babies. These were the last words of a woman who murdered her two preschool-aged children, Justin, age five, and Shelby, age four. 
Wait, I'm going to cry. On November 7th, 1997. These are the last words of a mother plagued with a history of depression, of sexual abuse from age 7 to 13 by a stepbrother, and age 13 by a neighbor. These are the last words of a woman with low self-worth, binge drinking, smoking, and drug use all through her teenage years, and she became sexually promiscuous so boys will like her from her low self-esteem. So this is the story of Christina Riggs and how she became the fifth women murderer executed in the United States since 1976. Oh my god, that was good. <laughs> too much, too much. I know, I'm like... <laughs> It's heavy. Um, oh, I guess before I go on, I should s- warn that this contains obviously violence against children. So if you don't want to listen to this, I'll just go ahead and skip ahead probably to the end. <laughs> um, and then it also talks about mental illness. So Christina's life started off pretty rough. As I mentioned in the intro, she was sexually assaulted from ages 7 to 13 by her stepbrother. And she was assaulted more by her neighbor at age 13. So obviously this led to a lot of mental illness issues for her, especially later in life. So she became sexually promiscuous because she had such low self-esteem and um, from that, that she started to think that boys wouldn't like her unless she was doing whatever they wanted to do which is just really sad. And um, she graduated high school, became a registered licensed nurse. She originally lived in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. And she worked actually two jobs while she was there. And she had become pregnant once before she met her uh, future husband. But in October 1991, she became pregnant with an airman whose name is John. And she, he basically left her because he thought that the baby wasn't his. So he up and left, went back to his family. And then when he came back after he was gone from leave, they started dating again. And he pretty much took that baby in and I mean before she before it was born and just acted like it was one of his own so in June 1922 Justin was born by all accounts he was a gorgeous baby boy but Christina was just also very nervous and scared about becoming a mom for the first time so in 1993 she became pregnant again and eventually married John and on their wedding night, they actually found out that they lost their child. So after the loss of their child, she started to have suicidal thoughts. It brought back that depression from years before, and their marriage was on the brink of divorce. She was prescribed Prozac, but like a lot of people who have mental illness, when she started feeling better, she stopped taking it. So she was not on medication or anything after this, from what I could find. And then in the spring of 1994, she got pregnant again. And in December 1994, she birthed Shelby, her youngest daughter. And after the Oklahoma City bombing, the Riggs moved to Arkansas. 
They moved to the small town of Sherwood. She became she furthered her career as a nurse. So she was working at a local hospital. She, whenever she moved, she was telling her mom about her depression, but her mom kind of brushed it off, and her kids both frequently got really sick, so that just added to her stress, and, you know, it does not do well when you're having mental illness and you add stress into it. Eventually, her and John ended up getting a divorce, so her finances fell apart. There was no help from John at all. And actually, just to show how much of a stand-up guy this was, during a fight one time, John punched little four- or five-year-old Justin in the stomach, and he actually Uh, required medical attention. uh, Poor baby. Yeah. So the only thing that Justin ever said about it was, Daddy hurt me, then went away. So it's just really terrible what that family went through. And you can just imagine what she was feeling and her depression and stress and anger and everything because working, being a single mom and working one job, that's very, very stressful. Mm-hmm. And it actually became to the point where she couldn't really pay for uh, daycare anymore. And, but she had no choice because she was working a full-time job. She started writing hot checks. So mm-hmm. basically they're going to bounce and she knew that. Mm-hmm. And it was just out of sheer desperation. So she could have, you know, this more, much more time for her kids in daycare so she uh-huh. could work and, and try to provide for them. But she got caught and she was actually facing jail time. Mm-hmm. And her insurance and registration expired on her car. And that was kind of the last straw for her because she had no way to get to work, had no way to get her kids to daycare. And she was just really scared to drive her car because if she got pulled over, she could possibly go to jail and have a huge fine and she told her mom she felt like suicide was the only answer Mm. so on november 4th 1997 christina riggs walked into the arkansas heart hospital in little rock she stole an antidepressant called elevil morphine and potassium chloride she went home after her shift like nothing ever happened and around 10 o'clock she put her kids to sleep by giving them the elevil in water put them in their beds and around 10 to 10 o'clock she injected justin with the undiluted potassium chloride oh no and i guess if you don't dilute it, it just causes causes a crazy burning in your veins. So he, five-year-old Justin, woke up screaming and in pain. And I don't know if you guys know this, but the drug that they use to, um, one of the drugs that they use in the lethal injections is potassium chloride. So it's a little bit ironic. And then... So Justin was just screaming and in so much pain. So Christina just decided to smother him. And she then she moved on to Shelby. And instead of putting her through the pain that Justin went through, she smothered Shelby as well. So after that, she moved them to her bed underneath a blanket and then attempted suicide by taking the rest of the antidepressants. Antidepressants. Depressants. 
and then injected herself with enough potassium chloride. And from what I read, it was enough to kill five people. Oh, my God. Yeah. So on November 5th, 1997, when Christina did not show up to work, her mom came to the house. She found the suicide notes and all the empty bottle and the empty med bottles and called the cops. The EMS came, saw that the two kids were dead, but Christina was still barely breathing, took her to the hospital and they were able to revive her. And obviously she was arrested after they were back. The detectives were back at her house and found her suicide notes. And basically it said that she was going to kill her kids and kill herself. So her trial happened in June of 1998. Her lawyers advised her to plead not guilty by reason of insanity, so she did. So she blamed acute chronic depression, but she was convicted anyway. A lot of the, what from I was um, reading and what I saw, a lot of the jury just kind of saw through her and didn't believe that she was actually a victim of mental illness. And they just thought that she was just very manipulative and... She just wanted to kill her kids and had pre-planned it and was just had no basically remorse for it at all. And she actually, at her sentencing, asked for the death sentence. So from what I said, like she was, she thought that prison was the most terrible thing ever. Apparently she was being abused in prison by other inmates and she was put on lockdown by herself. So she was absolutely just did not want to live anymore. And I think she kind of knew what she was, what she did and felt bad for it. So she only actually appealed her case reluctantly. She didn't want to. She was just accepting the sentence. And she... Uh, Um, was just the I think she was actually the only woman on death row when she was there and then on May 2nd 2000 she was killed by the by lethal injection and like I said earlier one of the drugs used was the potassium chloride that she attempted to kill Justin with so that is a story of Christina Riggs. And I think she was actually only the second woman. Hold on, let me fact check this really quick. Because it was she when I was researching this, there were a lot of really, really interesting stats. Like really the only thing I could find before finding these podcasts that I was listening to about her were only about how she was like the so-and-so number murdered or executed so she was the 31st murderer executed in the united states in 2000 she was the she was the 629th murderer executed in the united states since 1976 she was the fifth female murderer executed in the united states since 1976 the first murder executed in Arkansas in 2020. The 22nd murderer executed in Arkansas since 1976. 
and the first female murderer executed in Arkansas since 1976. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. That is insane. It's just crazy because obviously you don't see a lot of women sent to death or um but the thing that really bothered me about this and why i wanted to cover it is just because i'm not saying what she did was right and i'm not saying that it's acceptable by any means but i think i mean especially back in the late 90s i don't think that mental illness was really talked about that much and when you start an antidepressant and you start to feel better and you just quit it cold turkey that's almost worse for you than never taking it at all mm-hmm. um so i just really think that this is just a sad case of her life just becoming this terrible story of no one helping her i mean even her mom brushed her off and said you know you're just stressed out you're not depressed whatever so mm-hmm. it's just a really sad story of mental illness going undiagnosed and unchecked and that's why I really think that now is a crucial time because there's a lot more focus on mental health and hopefully with this focus people will not be scared to ask for help and more people will be willing to help yeah but especially with what we know now sorry about oh you're good like childhood abuse and how that leads to so many problems and hopefully being able to end that cycle in a lot of families where it's probably been going on for a long time Right, exactly. But my um, sources today were episode five of the Strictly Homicide podcast, uh, ClarkProsecutor.org, and a New York Times article by Emily Yellen. And that is Christina Riggs. That's good. Wow. Heavy. (laughs) I know, yeah, it's very heavy. Um, but it just, like yeah. I said, it just kind of spoke to me the fact that in court, everyone was like, no, she's a child killer and didn't even take her mental illness and yeah, didn't even That's really think about it or decide that it was a valid. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Obviously, <laughs> like, even if she didn't plan on actually killing herself, like, what was her other plan? Like, right. So. Well, I guess she wanted to, so she thought that suicide was the only option, but she didn't want to pass her kids along to her mom or her ex-husband because she didn't want them to be a burden and she didn't want them to grow up without her. So I think she was probably in a manic episode or something like that where she couldn't really think clearly. Mm -hmm. So. God. Wow. It's rough. Yeah. Sorry for the heaviness, but. Needed to be talked about. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. First woman killed from lethal injection in Arkansas. That's. I know. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so (laughs) tipsy. (laughs) Woo. Yeah. Well, um, let's go ahead and round this sucker out. Um, (laughs) Okay. That was terrible. (laughs) So uh, since we kind of skipped ahead, our next episode <laughs> will be Arizona, and then we will probably be back on track. Yes, and then we'll the be land back on track. No of <laughs> the land of Red Rocks, uh, Del yeah. Taco, and uh, the Grand Canyon. What, fun fact: one time I ate Del Taco before I went hiking in Arizona, <laughs> and I thought I was gonna die because <laughs> it was so hot, and you thought you were gonna throw up. Oh my god, I literally thought I was going to pass out. 
<laughs> Can't wait to revisit that next week. Yeah, oh, yes. Uh, yeah, so ghost story. The ghost of back. my intestine. <laughs> the ghost of my Del Taco experience. <laughs> All right, so... Come, come back next week while we talk about that uh, crisis in my life. Um, but let's go ahead and close out this session. So until Emma, next time. Please go see a therapist. Don't be afraid to question your local coroner. And honestly, if a statue ends up in your front yard, it's probably time to move. <laughs> Goodbye. 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 <laughs>